Welcome to Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and equips you to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39, that coming out, speaking of Jesus, he went to the Mount of Olives, and as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. Now, when he had came to the place, he said to them, pray, everyone say pray, pray. that you may not enter into temptation. And, he also, and, and, and as he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, he said in verse 42, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, notice, strengthening him. In verse 44, I want to present to you a word that helps us understand what's being faced here, and maybe even present to you for the first time something about Jesus that you might be unaware of. It says in verse 44, I'm being in agony. Can we say agony together? Agony. In just a moment, I'm going to give you the definition in the Greek to this specific word right here in Scripture that is going to show you a side of Jesus that you and I need to understand. And the Bible says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. In other words, agony came, it got worse, and what was his response? He prayed earnestly. In other words, he got serious about it. In other words, he didn't just talk about what was going on. He started praying about it. In other words, for us today, if we've gotten to the point where all we're doing is talking about this and talking about this and talking about this, and we haven't gotten to the place where we have gone to God in prayer and started praying this thing out, Jesus is going to teach us something today, just like he was teaching the disciples back then. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground. I want to speak to you today on the subject of do not fear. Would you look at your neighbor and, and whisper so you don't spray on them? Do not fear. Come on, look at your other neighbor that you just ignored and say, do not fear. If you don't have another person sitting next to you, pretend they're there, say, do Come on, let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. You, uh, you may be seated. Thank you, Whitney. Four questions we answer every single week, okay? Here's the four questions. Number one, what are we talking about? Number two, what do we need to know? Number three, what does the Bible say about it? And number four, what do we need to do? That's always the structure flow. For those of you that are note takers, we're going there. What are we talking about? What do we need to know about it? What does the Bible say about it? How many of you guys know I can give you opinions, but if it's not God's word, it's not as powerful, amen? So we're gonna give you God's word. We want you guys to know what the Bible says about any topic that we talk about. And then really, most importantly, as we know that, is understanding what do we, what, what do, we do next? So what are we talking about today? If you're writing this down, you can write this down as a theme. Today, we're simply talking about fear. Everyone say Fear. I'm going to get you guys talking a lot today. Say fear. Today we're talking about it. With everything that's going on, with everything that's unfolding, everything in our community, I think it's important for us to gather around and really speak into this issue. 
Now, because of social media, as we all know, it seems like it's heightened, and it is. And there is validity to everything we're, uh, we're reading, everything we're doing. Um, there also is the other side where it gets taken to an extreme. And so what we've got to do is we've got to kind of position ourselves to, as a church and as people um, to, to do this. So let me just say this about our church and what it is we're trying to do specifically so you guys know. Um, number one, we are a church of under 250 people. So as you know, with the, the governor and the ordinance, they were asking that any gathering that was 250 or above, that they would refrain from meeting. And then they begin to give some qualifications on what we can do if you are under the 250 threshold, which, which we are. So everything from creating social spacing. So you'll notice we took off the ropes. We actually started doing it last week. And to give you guys some, some room to spread, obviously, if you're a family, you guys live together, it's okay for you to sit together. When you walked in here today, uh, you, you noticed people were waving at you. You noticed if you got some coffee, Barbara was in the back and she had some gloves on. If you were checking in your child, our workers had gloves on there too. Uh, we did not do a meet and greet. We all got our Forrest Gump on and just started waving like we were from the boat. Uh, I've been wanting to say that since last night. And so, uh, and so, and I practiced it a little bit, but... Um, we, we were just kind of going there. We're, we're taking precautions. We're letting our families know. You guys might notice if you look around, some of our parents have their children in here. Uh, we understand that. And so we, as kids were walking in, they got a little gallon bag and it had snacks and a, a little coloring sheet with some crayons and some water. Uh, thank you, Vanessa, for, for making that possible. Because what we're trying to do is we're saying, hey, we're, we're going to take every precaution necessary to fall in ordinance. Uh, with our county, with, with, our, with our state, and obviously, and so we, we want to let you know that we are very mindful of everything that's going on, but at the same time, also talk about our role as believers in this moment. I realize that us meeting here today um, causes a problem for, for some people, and that's okay. We've taken some backlash for having a meeting today. How many of you guys know when decisions are made, you get good and, good and bad? You know, it's, it just goes with life. And I want to let you guys know as your pastor, I'm okay with that. You'll notice that some of our, our older folk, we call them second half. We call them silver foxes. We call them the coolest people in the room. Uh, you'll notice today that, that some of them, they're not with us right now per the um, recommendation of their doctors. And what's so cool about this, I mean, I'm looking down. We've got a family here today from our, our campus in Wasco that has joined us today, which I absolutely love about that. Um, you know, right now, uh, if it is, uh, it's 11-11, we just went live on our Facebook page. If, if those who didn't want to come today wanted to still have a service, our Bakersfield campus has a live stream going right now in this moment. So people from our church are watching our Bakersfield campus. We've got Wasco here. You guys are all slow people. We're doing everything that we possibly can as a network of churches to keep you safe, but to also give opportunity for you to still be a part of a community. I think the devil himself sits back and loves the fact that something like this is going to actually force people into isolation for safety. So what we're saying is, hey, that might be the case, but what you meant for harm, we're going to turn around for good because we love God and we're called according to his purpose. So what's going to happen is if we have to get creative over the next few weeks, we're going to do it to keep you guys in community. Amen? I'm also so thankful as I'm looking down, I'm seeing Lucy and, and some of our people here, some of our people that are, are part of uh, doctors, all that stuff, man, they're working, but we have nurses sitting in our room today. Man, these guys are heroes in our community. We should be giving it up for them even in this moment. I love it because they're posting pictures, man. Everybody's running and getting isolated, but man, our nurses are still showing up to work. Our police enforcement are still doing their job. We have people that are stepping in. So how much more so should the church 
be doing. Amen? But we're going to be smart about it. We're going to walk in wisdom. So I want you guys to know, listen, we, we, we will keep these doors open as long as we possibly can to keep in ordinance with everything going on. Okay? We're, we're going to do that, but we're also going to keep you very safe so you can trust us. Amen? All right. So with that being said, now you know where we stand. And I'm just saying as an Oakland A's fan, you know, you do this right here. Some of you are doing elbows. That's called Bash Brothers, you Giants fans. So what is the definition of fear? Let me give it to you real quick. It's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Okay, so as we know, that's fear. What we need to make very clear is as Christians, like we said earlier, we're not of this world. Now, we're in it, but we're not of it. In other words, we are to operate differently, and we need to understand that in the days ahead, we're going to do so. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about fear. What is it that we all need to know collectively? What's the big takeaway from this message here today? You can write this down, and I want you to get it, is that fear is a servant not a master. The world is in fear. People are in fear. What do we need to know? What do you need to know? You need to know that fear is a servant. It's not a master. Let me make sense of that. In other words, fear is to serve you. In other words, it's going to cause you to do something. Now, I know this is going to sound contradictive. I'm going to make it make sense in the points, but it's to serve you and to push you to a place of doing what you should be doing. It is not to master you. It is not to cause you to have worry or anxiety or crippling fear to where you are afraid. We're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. So understanding that fear is a servant, there's things that it begins to push us towards. Now, this week alone, without a doubt, and you can ask Vanessa, I wrestled all week long with getting this message around. Because here's why. Let me just let you into my world. Okay, I start my message prep on Mondays. So when church is done today, preachers have this saying, it goes like this, Sunday's coming. And every week I gotta get up here for about 35 to 40 minutes and preach something good so y'all don't stare at me looking weird, okay? It, it's, a, it's, just, it's a common tension that pastors love, but we gotta be creative 52 weeks out of the year, all right? So if I have a bad week every once in a while, dear God, send me a card or something, people. <laughs> I'm just joking with you. We, we take it seriously. So on Mondays, man, we get around. Okay, what are we talking about? By Tuesday, we got our theme down. By Tuesday and Wednesday, we're finding out what does the Bible say about it. So we have this whole process of how we're, how we're going to talk about this whole idea. I could not settle into anything on Monday. Couldn't do it on Tuesday. Then Wednesday came, and I started to send some things based off what I saw. Then Thursday, our governor gets, a Wednesday governor gets up. Thursday, things start transpiring. By Friday, as a Canyon Hills network, we're trying to figure out what's our best thing. I mean, it's been a week, and I could not, could not go, okay, God, what is the word for our church? What is the word for our people? Until last night. Kid you not. Going back and forth all day long. That live stream today on, uh, on CanyonHills.com was a bear to figure out with the team. I have looked at more coding, more websites, more embedding than I would ever care to do ever again. But it was important to get up. And so all of a sudden, I was praying, and all of a sudden, I was reminded of this scenario. And then Vanessa sent me a video link. It was about nine something, eight something last night, and all of a sudden, it clicked. 
Let me ask you a question. You ever had a reoccurring dream uh, that was a dangerous dream, maybe of falling from a very tall building or height? Or maybe it was a dream of someone you love very significantly suddenly passing away. You ever had a reoccurring dream? Am I the only one that's ever had that? Okay, cool. Um, I, I think most people do. We, we kind of have something or just a dream that just gets your attention, wakes you up in a sweat and a panic. Um, I've, I've had one. And it's actually one that I have reoccurring. Uh, many, many years ago, I went to Yosemite for the very first time and hiked Half Dome. And uh, I've actually done it twice. It was awesome. The first time, we also killed a rattlesnake on our way, made for a great story. Uh, the guy that I was with cooked it because I called him the Christian MacGyver. It was disgusting. I'll never do it again. Uh, and, so, and so I went there. And so for whatever reason, I've always loved Yosemite, and I've always wanted to take uh, my boys to Yosemite. And uh, we just haven't done it yet. I wanted them to get a little bit older but um, I, I, for whatever reason, as many of you guys know, Jacob, my wild child, um, I would have this dream. All, and it's just a dream. That's all it is. I would have this dream that Jacob would be with me hiking Yosemite. And because of his energy and because of his sense of adventure, and sometimes as a strong-willed child, because of his sense of not listening to the words of his parents, um, I had this fear that there was this one spot by one of the falls where you can get in the water and the trip that I went there on there was a young man who got in the water and he didn't realize the severity of the current in the water and it caught him and it actually sent him over and he passed away so on my first trip there that was the, the talk of everything going on so all the rangers were up at top and they were letting people know all this stuff and I was just like man that's crazy and so for whatever reason I have this reoccurring dream and it works out differently each time but I'm with Jacob and he gets ahead of me and he gets so far ahead of me that as I'm saying, Jacob, hold on, it becomes too late. He has gotten in the water. He has been swept by the current, and he starts to fall. And that's where I wake up on the dream every single time. And it's just one of those, and it's weird. And there's been times where I've woke up in a panic. There's been times when I've woke up in a sweat. And there's been times I woke up and go, what a, what a lame dream, you know? And when you're a parent, you understand. I mean, it, it brings these weird, strong emotions out and it almost kind of like stops your day a little bit like you can't stop thinking about it and yes you know hey it's just a dream it's just a dream but it felt so real and it was just and it's one of those moments and so it's kind of like man I, I started feeling this whole idea of the, this this dream and I wrestled with it and so last night as I was praying and trying to figure out God what is it that we talk about and what is it that we do that this idea came to mind and and he, here's the thing it just it just wasn't reality and it's not reality. And the Lord reminded me of in those moments, there was a, a good fear. And there's, and it sounds, I know I get it. There's a good fear. And there's this whole idea of, of bad fear. Okay. So let me make sense of that. I want you to write this down. The difference between, and I'll give you the points, the difference between this, this bad fear and kind of like this good slash healthy fear. Here's how you can tell the difference. Number one. Good fear is circumstantial, but bad fear is perpetual. Okay, so in other words, say someone swerves in front of you, and you feel for a moment a fear that causes you to react and swerve out of the way so nothing happens, right? And then all of a sudden, guess what? Situation's over, goes away. That's circumstantial fear, Something goes on. So circumstantial fear would say, okay, if I'm walking in Yosemite with Jacob and I see him getting close to the edge, I'm like, hey, get over here real quick. He gets over and then we just keep moving on. 
It's a circumstantial. But bad fear is perpetual. Bad fear is the constant sense that something is getting ready to drop. And what happens is, is anxiety begins to work its way in. It becomes bad fear. Okay, number two. Good fear protects, bad fear paralyzes. If there is something that represents imminent harm to your family or others, what happens? You go into this protective mode. Husbands, even wives now too. Got to be careful when you make this statement. You hear something late at night. And as a husband, what do you do? You get up, you're ready to protect. I lived in Stockton, California. We heard a noise. I'm going to embarrass myself here. We heard a noise. Vanessa heard it. What did I do? Lived in Stockton. I grabbed, I, I grabbed my nine, and I started casing that house on the outside. The problem? I wasn't properly dressed. And I did not care. I got outside. What? What happens? In other words, this boom, 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 boom. This fear of someone's coming after my family, but this protective side rose up, and I went outside, and if you're from Stockton, you don't hold a gun like that. You hold it like this, okay? <laughs> Let them know I'm for real. Good fear. It protects. But what does bad fear do? Bad, bad fear, it stops you. Some of you remember this story of a news, uh, uh, once a woman, she was going about her business one day and her attention was captured by a very small young child who had somehow got onto the balcony of an apartment complex. And fear came inside of her, but it moved her to get over to the place underneath that baby. And when that baby fell, she caught the baby. Fear got her into protective mode. Good fear. Bad fear paralyzes you. In other words, I, I can't do nothing. I just got to stop. That's bad fear. Number three, good fear instructs, bad fear confuses. Good fear may tell you to stop or move this way. Bad fear confuses you in even small decisions. In other words, it creeps in and the most basic decisions that you normally make, you can't make anymore. You're stuck. It's confused you. What's right? What's wrong? Ah, ah, ah. Been there before? We all have. Number four, good fear empowers, bad fear enslaves. As much as you know the presence of God by peace, you also know the presence of the devil by fear. I want you to remember this. Always remember bad fear comes from the enemy. If the Bible says all good things come from above, if it's not good, it's not God. That's all you need to know. So, so it comes from there. So in our opening text, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's make sense of this and, and talk about the Bible a little bit. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and just before going to the cross, it says in verse 44, and being in agony. Now, that word agony in the Greek translated in our Bibles is what's called agonia, A-G-O-N-I-A, okay? Which means, watch here, great fear or distress, anguish, and intense struggle 
for victory. Now let's make sure we understand this. Who's feeling the agony in this story? Jesus. You would say, Jesus can't have fear. How many would say yes? How many of you would say no? How many of you would not answer yes or no because you just really don't want to be wrong, especially in church? <laughs> Thank you, Swade. I got that 20 bucks for you later. Did Jesus, listen, if this is the Greek translation for that passage of scripture right there, did Jesus experience fear? I'm going to answer in a moment, okay? I'm going to put a, a, um, something up on the screen, and I'm going to put Josh on the spot. Josh is going to read it because when I pronounce these things, he always corrects me. So Josh, <laughs> say that word right there. Say it loud for all to hear. Okay, that word right there. Okay. Good. He says maybe. I love your humility. Okay. Let me just, let's have a Bible moment, okay? I love teaching people the Bible. What book are we reading out of today? Anybody know? What was our opening scripture? Luke. What was Luke known as? The physician. So isn't it ironic that the physician and this passage of scripture is defining Jesus being in a state of agony, which defined is a state of fear, of anguish, of tension. No other gospel writer records this word. The condition is when a person is under so much stress that their blood vessels underneath their skin constrict and rupture and empty into their sweat glands causing them to literally sweat blood. That's what this means. So when Jesus was at Gethsemane, he was in such emotional distress, such great fear, under so much pressure over what he was getting ready to go through that he began to sweat blood. And it's interesting that the Bible never records Jesus other than this time ever experiencing fear. Now, when I read the Bible, I can see a lot of times where he could have been afraid. He had been on ships that were getting ready to sink. In Nazareth, they tried to throw him off a cliff. He was approached by demon-possessed people. Have you ever seen that before? I have. And it will stop a room in its track. I saw a little girl at 95 pounds at an altar literally throw off Four grown men who were powerlifters, part of a power team, all over 250 pounds. I'm not trying to hype. I saw it with my own eyes. She was possessed. God set her free. It was an amazing story. I've never seen anything like it. Still haven't to this day. It's still there. So Jesus could have been afraid in that moment. No. This is the only time. So the question is, is why did Jesus experience fear in this moment? These aren't points, but you can write them down. First, so he could forever identify with us as human beings. My question was, is did Jesus ever experience fear? My answer is yes. And the reason it is, is because of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. What does the scripture say? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, 
tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Look at Hebrews 5.2. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for our sins. Verse two, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. The Bible declares that Jesus is our high priest, was tempted in all things that came his way. Am I making sense? For Jesus to, to, to understand what we're going through, he had to experience it himself. That's how he understands the human condition. How many of you guys would say when you've experienced something very hard and somebody else does, how much compassion you have for them? It's the same way with Jesus. He understands. So therefore, he steps in. Why did Jesus experience fear at this moment? Also because he had full knowledge of everything he was about to endure. Jesus knew the detail of his trials. He knew the detail of the cross. He's God in the flesh, guys. He knows all things. He knows Judas would, would literally sell him out. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew most of the disciples would flee. He knew all of it. So, so why did Jesus experience this fear? Because he knew. Remember in the scriptures in Gethsemane, what did he say? He says, if it would be possible, God would you remove this cup from me? The cup of what? The cup of suffering. Jesus knew the toll it was going to take. Why did Jesus experience fear in this moment? Well, he was also under the assault by Satan, who's the spirit of fear. Interesting passage of Scripture. Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. And on the last time, the Bible clearly states that Satan left him for the next opportune time. The next time Satan presents himself to Jesus, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The next opportunity has come up. Let's instill some fear into Jesus. How is the attack of the enemy? The primary reason Satan tries to put fear on us is to keep us from doing the will of God in our lives. So he was trying to interrupt what Jesus was getting ready to do. I want you to write this down. Fear-based decisions will always move you in the wrong direction. And that's, that's not just in what we're facing right now. That's just in general. Fear-based decisions will always move you in the wrong direction. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Would you say power? And of love. Would you say love? And of a sound mind. Would you say sound mind? This has been the scripture not only spoken to pastors all across the nation in this moment, but the first scripture that came to me in my moment of prayer. God, give me a word. And this is the word God gave me. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So it's not, God doesn't give you fear. But of power, power to what? Power to pray. Power to make decisions. Power to step in. Love. What do I need love for? In this moment as a church, we need love to serve our community, to serve one another, to be there for each other. But then it says a sound mind. What's that mean? That means that God gives us wisdom 
and discernment. So if he doesn't give us a spirit of fear, we believe that, we need to look at what he gives us. You have power, you have love, and you have a sound mind. Christian, walk in that. Believer, walk in that. Let that be your prayer. You say, I don't have all the answers. Don't need to. He's got them. Your job, God, give me love, give me power, and give me a sound mind. If that's the only thing you pray tomorrow morning, I'm telling you, it's enough. I read that scripture and I just want to run through a wall. I'm not trying to be naive or wrong, but I'm like, this sounds really bad, but I'm telling you, God, let me find that person who's been diagnosed with that. God, I want to lay hands on them. I want to see him get here. Some of you are like, what, beat him up? No. I want to pray for him. Wouldn't it be amazing that, that if this thing broke out, that God gave us the wisdom to step into moments, into scenarios, to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover? Could it just be crazy enough to believe whether you agree with it or not, that our president declared today a national day of prayer. I'm not speaking to him. I'm speaking to what he is asking us to do. He is saying that if we come together and we pray that God can sort this whole thing out. Isn't that crazy? It's powerful. That's where we step in. So I'm kind of just like this. I'm like, hey, And maybe I'm just wired this way. I don't want it to get crazy, but if it does, come on, let's step into that. I'm so thankful that you all decided that if you were a college student and you get kicked off your campus, we will give you a U-Haul. I read that, confirmed that it was actually true. It was like, you go, (laughs) U-Haul. Then all of a sudden, I started to worry about all of our college students who are on meal ticket plans. I started to think about all the parents in the room that have to go to work, but their kids can't go to school. And then we get an email from our school district that says, hey, here's the deal. We've got lunch no matter if you don't come to our school for every child. You drive them through, you get the lunch, you go back home. It gets even better. Then Cal Poly kicks in because of President Trump and his whole team and all that stuff. And I'm convinced any president in this seat right now would have done it, just to kind of be careful here. All right. And they stepped in and they said, if you're a college student, we're going to figure it out too. And I'm thankful for all of that. But you know what I want? If it gets really bad, see those doors that you just walked in today? I want the church to be the answer. And you can either get behind that or not. I'm pretty convinced you all will because you all are really good people. See what I'm saying? We, We have... And emo- I mean, we have, a, we have a thing here. Look, fear is not just an emotion. It's a spirit. So if fear for the negative is a spirit, then fear and no fear and walking with God and walking in faith and power is a spirit we can have. Amen? Hmm. What do we need to do? And we close. If you're here today and you're saying, man, what do I need to do from this point on? Here's what I want to speak. And I realize that some people are listening to this right now on a podcast. And so I'm speaking to you too. And that sounds really weird to say right now, especially looking up. But 
What do you need to do if you're listening to this, even in this room today or by way of podcast? Number one, you need to admit fear without shame. If you've got fear, listen to me, without shame. Don't you be ashamed of yourself. You are a work in progress. God, by the way, has started that process in you. And he says he will complete it. So if you have any fear in your life right now, please do not be ashamed. Admit it to God. He's a big boy. He can handle it. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is crying out. He's eventually then telling his disciples, you need to to pray with me. Jesus is experiencing this stuff. And what does he do? He gathers his disciples around. He says, come on, guys, pray with me. Listen, admit your fear to God. Admit it to your spouse. Admit it to a friend. Let them pray with you. We're going to be very respectful of social distancing. So, like, I'm not going to include you guys or have you guys come up, you know, for prayer. I can still pray for you. Shoot me a text message. Let me know. Text our church phone. You can text that number, by the way. And we respond. Let's pray for you. Secondly, you got to submit your fear to God. Once you admit it, you got to submit it. In other words, God, I, I give this to you. Most people who have accomplished great things have felt fear, but they acted above their fear. Mark Twain said this. He says, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the mastery of it. I thought that was good. Number three, you got to focus on God's presence and his love. Luke twenty two forty four. and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. In other words, he was turning his attention to God's presence and love. The more he hurt, the more he prayed. I thought that was powerful. Psalm 16 is a prophetic psalm of, of the Messiah, and it tells us that Jesus was saying to himself on the way to the cross, and this is how it went. They'll pop that there. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, which is another word for hell. So Jesus went down to hell and defeated death, hell, and the grave. So God would not leave him there. He says, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand. Who's sitting at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. This is prophetic in Psalms, people. Jesus is going, hey, God, you got me. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though he was struggling, he turned his heart and towards God and his presence and God's love and says, at the end of the day, it's going to be all right. Hey, y'all, I know we get it. This is temporary. That's eternal. Yes, it's here. Yes, it's frightening people. But if it was, I don't think it is, but if it was, it's not a bad deal. We're going to heaven. Thought you guys would be a little bit more excited about that. (laughs) Might need to start praying and turning your attention towards God's presence and love. Get excited about heaven. I know these are crazy times, but at the end of the day, y'all, it's temporary. Doesn't mean we're doesn't mean we're not careful. But at the end of the day, it just is. 
All right, number four, because she's been playing a long time. Face your fears by faith and watch them crumble. Look at the example of Jesus here. Jesus prayed three times, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Then what does he say? Not my will, but thy be done. All of a sudden, Jesus lifts his head from that moment, and what does he see? He sees the soldiers coming his way. It's time for it to begin to take place. He knows what's coming, and he doesn't run from it. He hits it straight on. He says, all right, this is why I came. God, you don't want it to pass? No big deal. I'm ready to go. His faith crumbled the fear. And that's what happens when we say, God, give me faith. God, I don't want to fear. God, I'm willing to step out and to do what I got to do. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media to hear more about what God is doing through our church at Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo. For more information, visit us at canyonhills.com.